The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? It's Anthony Cazenza with Orange Black Insider Bengals Podcast and CincyJungle.com. It feels like it has been an absolute eternity since I have done one of these water cooler chats. I guess that's what happens when you have a Thursday night game. I don't know. But it's always good not to do these solo and have the company of someone awesome. And this week on the water cooler chat, I've got Drew Garrison, one of the newer contributors on board at CincyJungle.com. A great Twitter follow. And a fun Bengals fan. And I feel like we've we've kind of become these buddies over Twitter, Drew. So it's good to have mine joining me on the program, uh, even though we haven't met in person yet. But how's it going, man? I'm I'm good, man. I'm still riding the high from Thursday night, I think. It's just been just good days ever since Thursday, it feels like. It that game was simultaneously one of the best and most frustrating games I think I've ever watched. Uh, a no tale doubt. of two halves. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the aftermath of that. We're going to talk about um, all kinds of things leading up to this other big game coming up on Sunday with the Cincinnati Bengals against the Green Bay Packers. Going to go through a lot of different headlines and news, that sort of thing. We've got uh, some other news to get to as it pertains to the AFC North. And then, of course, we've got a lot of different headlines, um, some of which I I think my my guest co-host will savor in terms of NFL news coming up later on uh, some some bad reputation stuff going on around. Oh, the- man. <laughs> so I guess we got to get to that. We'll get to that a little later. In case you're new to this program, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel right below Drew. I believe there is a an icon that you can click to subscribe to the channel and a bell that you can click to be notified when we go live, when new material is available. We're coming at you with all kinds of different stuff during the season and off season, but during the season, we've got all kinds of different episodes coming at you. And you can also get all of our audio stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones go subscribe there. Leave us a review too. Drew is just one of uh, the a, a slate of awesome guests that we have joining us on the program. He's kicking it off for us this week. We've got Mike Petraglia who covers the Cincinnati Bengals joining us tomorrow and then we've got a little bit of fantasy football advice from the Orangero on Thursday. And then Friday, 
We've got Malik Wright from the Right Way Sports Network joining us for some listener questions live. So a lot to get to this week and a lot of fun. And Drew, I'm excited you are here, my friend. Uh, why don't we kick it off, if you don't mind. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're a Bengals fan, when you joined Cincy Jungle, and then... I want to talk a little bit about your in-game experience and maybe even pre-game experience this last week. Absolutely. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm in Miamisburg, Ohio, so near Dayton, which is about 45 minutes north of Cincinnati. I uh, lived here my whole life or in the area my whole life. Um, became a Bengals fan kind of by default. Um, my dad is very, very big into the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, I am not, <laughs> but um, he is. So he, he, he's always kind of rooted for the Bengals, but never really been into it. He got with my stepmother, actually, uh, when I was younger. And she's a big Bengals fan. That's kind of what got me into it. And it's just been that ever since. And um, I've just kind of just fallen in love with the team, man, through through everything. And you now are a contributor at CincyJungle.com. We're actually going to share one of your most recent posts that you put up there. And the in case people don't know and have not followed you for some whatever stupid reason on Twitter, you're at Drew underscore LRT, and that LRT stands for Locker Room Talk, uh, correct? Uncut, right? Yeah, that's the, that's, the podcast yeah. that you do uh, as well. Yeah, buddy of mine. Uh, I just, I was at work one day at my old job, and I was just like, man, we should do that. You know, I think just think it would be fun. Um, we're kind of gritty kind of rough you know we say some some kind of wild stuff sometimes but we have a lot of fun with it um you know that's not um who i am all the time it's who i am a lot of the time but we have we just have a lot of fun with it so uh you know we usually do our episodes on wednesdays we'll post them up live uh, my co-host chad is uh at pinrod underscore lrt but he's a browns fan um i've got half of this little room in my basement has got brown stuff on it so i tried to hide it, it but, uh, we, intentionally yeah we've cut that yeah off yeah <laughs> adjusted the camera so we didn't have to see that um so we have a lot of fun with that and yeah i joined uh i joined Cincy jungle here a couple months ago right before the start of the season um it's actually super cool i was writing for another site um and i was just i, I kind of saw some of the interaction with Cincy jungle finally i was like hey here's kind of what i've done do you guys are you guys looking for anybody and that's super cool for me because I've been reading Cincy Jungle for you know ten plus years. Um, I, I, I've always been a huge fan of it, so it's really awesome to be able to help out and contribute with it too. So I'm super pumped. Well, it's awesome to see your following grow exponentially and very quickly on Twitter. Yours and Malik Wright's uh, have grown exponentially because of your great takes, your information, and and all kinds of different things. You had a little bit of inside info as well this off season um with the toonie family you were uh you were kind of yeah. talking with that and you you did the the hashtag toonie watch i remember sharing some of that stuff on on the show too and um obviously that that connection and, and other information you were relaying uh definitely endeared yourself to the Bengals fan base so it's it's awesome to have you on and i'm gonna start with you here and this is the most recent in case anyone has not seen this article uh, Bengals tailgating, where to go and what to expect. And you kind of shared a lot your experiences from Thursday night. You've got Sean Moore, the Who Day Baby, as the picture there. Obviously, He's awesome. uh, yeah, unfortunately, I met him. Great guy. Unfortunately, I did not get to go to the Bengals bomb squad tailgate. I don't know if you made it to both. Um, I only had just because of the the limited amount of time. I, I did make it to Jim's, which was awesome. But I'd love to hear your, and I'm sure our fans would love to hear your experience at gyms and in the stadium with everything going on on this very special Thursday night that just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I drove down, I've, I've posted my Bengals van on Twitter a few times. It's orange with black stripes and who days all over it and stuff. Something that I've been working on the, over the summer to, to get ready for the season. So that's been awesome. Um, 
and so I got down there. I parked in Longworth Hall, and there's a I think that's Bomb Squad West out there. Um, so they had a big setup going on. Um, they, they have two spots that they go to and uh, they have an awesome tailgate, man. They do a lot of charity work. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved in that. Um, so we kind of parked, my girlfriend and I went, um, and I just really just kind of bounced around. Cause as I said, like I've been going to Bengals games for over 20 years, but up until I kind of got active on Twitter, I didn't realize everything that goes into these tailgates. I just thought, you know, people pulled up, people pulled up, they put their tents up, they started their grill and they just hung out. But there's so much that goes in, you know, the bomb squad and, and Bengal gyms and, and several other tailgates that you'll see, you know, from lot one all the way out to kind of back towards the highway down there. Um, so I just kind of bounced around. I did stop by gyms because I, I honestly had never been there. And I was like, I, I got to see what all the fuss is about. And that man lived up to every bit of it. I mean, it was there's there's beer trucks dispensing beer out of the side. There's margarita towers as tall as me. The craziest food spread I have ever seen at a tailgate in my life. They were setting up for a live band. Um, you know, there, a lot of popular Bengals Twitter people there. You know, Goodberry was there. I saw Zim and Ace went down there. Um, the Bengalorian was there. Bengal St- Stormtrooper. Um, there's Tony the Tiger. Just all these, you know, people that you see every day when you're scrolling Twitter. We're just hanging out and he just really, really did it. And I think that that's something that, you know, in writing that article, I didn't, when I wrote that article, I don't think I even understood everything that went into it. I wrote from my experience over the last, you know, few years of, you know, here's where you go if you have kids, here's where you go if, you know, you want to have a bunch of drinks before the game here, you know, just kind of for, for the, the average fan. But in doing that, I kind of got into this world of Bengals tailgating that I think is incredibly underrated. Um, you know, cause we know that the national media doesn't love us and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, you've got cities like Cleveland and Cleveland's got a phenomenal tailgating experience. I've been up there, um, you know, quite a few times, but really learning about kind of everything that goes into it, you know, with these bigger tailgates and what goes into it and how they give back to the community and everything that goes along with it was really, really cool. So I just kind of bounced around. Uh, we walked over to the banks, uh, to try to get some food. Terrible idea. Um, every restaurant Crazy. there was, yeah. <laughs> they had the street shut down. The NFL network crew was there. Um, in every restaurant we tried to get a table at, there was like a three hour wait and the game was going to start. So we actually ha- came back towards the stadium, had our first experience on the scooters that you can just pick up and rent with an app oh, on yeah. your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, almost harmed ourselves, but we made it back. So it was, it was a good time. And then, you know, we kind of headed on into the stadium. I like to get in early. I like to watch warmups. Um, I had some of the best, I had the best seats that I've ever had in my life. So I wanted to get in there early, um, watch, you know, Burrow get loose and, and all of that. And it was awesome. And then th- the stadium experience that they've, and I went last year, I went to a, a, the Bengals Giants game last year, um, you know, with the social distancing and everything, but just the, the steps that they've taken from the, the experience at Paul Brown stadium between last year and this year are incredible. Yeah. And I got a little NFL network time. I, I missed my moment though. Cause I was, they, they were full screen on me and I was turned talking so that I, I kind of missed my, my full face moment there, but yeah, man, it was once I realized that we um, were sitting in front of the NFL network crew. I told Victoria, my girlfriend, I said, Hey, if we win this game, Joe Burrow is going to be there and we're, we're going to not leave. <laughs> so I was like, it's going to be late. We have to work tomorrow. I get it, but I cannot leave. You can sleep in the car yeah. on the way home. Um, and that was just an added bonus that I didn't see coming at all. It was, it was incredible. Um, but, you know, not to be too long winded, but I cannot explain enough 
how good of a job the Bengals have done with the in-stadium game day experience um, just in years past that I've seen to, to this year. Um, you know, the, the graphics are updated. Uh, we had that same, you know, the, the Tiger claws, the flag of the opposing team pregame. It seems like we had the same one of those since Paul Brown Stadium opened. <laughs> um, and they've updated right. it. Um, you know, the, the fireworks, the lights doing the flickering thing, like something I've never seen from there. It's just, you know, Liz Blackburn coming in and this big focus on fan engagement and fan experience and everything that they're trying to do to, to be more in touch with the fan base, because that's been a criticism from the Bengals for years at times from me, you know, I've, I've transitioned from a very cynical negative guy to, to a more positive fan. And a lot of that is because they pay attention, you know, the Jersey release when Zim and Yas and all those people got to go down there. Um, everything that they got to do is just that Liz Blackburn is knocking it out of the park and the game day experience was phenomenal. And obviously you have the ring of honor pulled up and that was, that was just a moment I couldn't miss. Yeah. I assume the, for once in Bengals history at halftime, the bathrooms were probably empty at this point yeah. in time yeah. at halftime because of <laughs> this ceremony that they were doing. Uh, that, that, you know, I, I can attest to what happened in week one. Personally, that was a, a great atmosphere. And like you said, some of the surrounding stuff outside of the stadium, they've got some cornhole stuff set up, live music of their own set up. I mean, they had all kinds of different things that, you know, I, last time I went to Paul Brown stadium was five years ago and it was completely different. So yes, kudos to Elizabeth Blackburn and many others for, for recognizing some of the changes that needed to be made and they made them. Uh, I saw her Friday night uh, when I first got into town, actually, and she just, you know, we had a couple Bengals stuff on. Hey, who they, who they guys? And stop and talk to us for a little yeah. bit. Very friendly. She was leaving the stadium, I think, and just really cool. But real quickly, before we get to more headlines, because we're kind of combing through some of them anyway right now by by your article in terms of tailgating experiences and this Ring of Honor ceremony. Um, can you just, for those that maybe didn't get to see it, for those who have not, that, by the way, the YouTube link from the Bengals official YouTube is on this article. I think I posted that in the live chats too, but a uh, couple of things maybe or observations, memories that you made in, in this specific aspect of the show. Of the, of yeah. The they, they And they started that, you know, at the beginning of the game with the ruler of the jungle chant, you had mm -hmm. Munoz there, you had Ken Riley jr. There you had Ken Anderson there. Um, so it was kind of a, a big night, but the, the ceremony was, I honestly wasn't sure what to expect, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm just kind of jaded by them not recognizing, um, you know, former players and everything, but they, they did a phenomenal job with it. Um, the jacket um, was really cool. Cause I, that, that yeah. was really kept under wraps. Um, I was like, I hope it's not gaudy. I hope it's not, you know, anything too crazy, but it's a very clean, you know, black jacket with some orange accent on the front. But then you open it up, you've got the uh, the the ring of honor and the stripes inside. I think they did a phenomenal job with that. Um, it was kind of hard to see from my view because that NFL Network crew brought their their setup back up yeah. during halftime. Yeah. So I was a little bit cut off. Uh, I watched a lot from the jumbotron. Um, you know, I, I recorded the whole thing um, just to 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 kind of have it. But they, it was just like the Ring of Honors that you see from you know any of the big national franchises. You know, you got your Cowboys, your Steelers, all these national brand teams that we may not be, but it was it was right there with any other kind of ceremony like that that I've ever seen. Um, and obviously, the bias in me says it's a little bit better because I mean, 
Munoz is one of my favorites ever. He was long before my time, but just, you know, researching him. Um, and, you know, they honored Paul Brown very well. Um, you know, they had his jacket in a, in a display case. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Mike Brown wasn't down there, though. I didn't mm. see him if he was. Mm. Um, but it, it, it was awesome. And that was something, like I said, I, it was just something that we've needed for so long. I, it's a situation like I'm 45 minutes north. I can't miss this. I have to go. <laughs> like, I have to be there. Um, and, and they, they didn't disappoint, um, in the slightest bit. They, they honored the players very well. Um, they, they put on a good show for the fans and yeah, like I said, like you said, nobody left. I mean, I, I got into the stadium early. We got our food, we got our drinks, we sat down, we didn't move. Um, cause I knew like, I, I didn't want to miss that. And they, they did a bang up job with it. It looked like it for sure. I'm a, I'm a little jealous. I, I, I loved my experience of meeting all kinds of people week one, little jealous that uh, I didn't, I, I just couldn't make this one work, but uh, still looked like an awesome ceremony. And I think, you know, you mentioned Mike Brown, um, obviously being up there in age, maybe there was some, you know, and then the time constraints and all that kind of stuff. Maybe yeah. there were just some issues with, with that sort of thing, but I'm really glad that you had a great experience. And that's part of what I wanted to take up the, the initial part of the time from, uh, of this episode, uh, since you're on here and talk about what you experienced from tailgate through the game and even at the end, as you you saw that cool picture, you're you're right right front and center. And uh, I I think I tweeted out a picture of you from from watching TV the other way, the other side, looking at you. So um, that's really cool, and it was awesome to see all the people that follow that I follow on Twitter that follow me and all their pictures and all the stuff that uh, it's kind of becoming a really cool community and connected community. And I noticed that week one from people that had never physically met each other but our tailgating together, going to this game together and, and meeting and be like, Hey, you're, you're so-and-so from Twitter. Hey, you're so, you know, yeah, there was a whole section. Um, yeah. I kind of, I yeah. kind of didn't, you know, realize that that was going on as I knew that some people had posted links like, Hey, come sit in my section. I didn't know it was going on to the extent that it went on. I mean, everybody was in that section. Lisco was there. Goodberry's there. Zim, Ace, Malik was there. Just countless other people. I don't want to leave anybody out, but yeah. And that's, that's one of the coolest things that I've seen is, you know, the, 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 the Bengals Twitter community is, is a very real thing. Um, and it, it kind of all came together there and it was cool to see, you know, in person and, you know, on my feed. So yeah, they, it was just one of those nights. It's just like, okay, this is something that we have to, you know, be at if possible. Now you would have to fly across the country. So that's a little bit different. All I had to do was drive an hour or so. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and flying right now is a little bit different than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, getting direct flights places are, are few and far between, at least from from where I am to Ohio. But I, I still wanted to to make that work. But I had a great experience, nevertheless, in, in week one. And I'm glad you had a great experience week four. But this game was not all roses and sunshine, at least not for the first half, Drew. It was the first half was... Oh boy. Uh, and it, yes. it, it reeked of classic trap game and credit to the Jaguars because I thought their game plan, I feel like they looked at what they were doing wrong in the first three weeks. And they, they kind of, they let Trevor Lawrence make certain throws and be Trevor Lawrence at times. But I feel like they also said this kid is big and can run we don't need to take every single shot down the field all the time. We can just take what they give us score points, control the game a bit. And they took advantage of a team that has played a, a lot of football, particularly on defense, uh, namely in weeks one and three, right. Uh, against Pittsburgh and, and, you know, week one, 
I just feel like they took advantage of a situation, altered their game plan that that made them get that lead in the first half. But the Bengals really shot out of a cannon in the second half. This was an article I'd love to hear, you know, what it was like in that stadium first half to second half. I know it was deafening throughout most of it, but um, especially after the first half struggles and how the Bengals came out, what, what was kind of the, the atmosphere? So pregame, incredibly loud, incredibly energetic, everything. By about mid-second quarter, it had kind of quieted because everybody's kind of like, all right, what's going on? Um, <laughs> I, I decided to say that it was just the, the genius of Zach Taylor. Um, Urban Meyer, one of his biggest things in college was his, his halftime adjustments. He was good at it. So I said, Zach just kept it playing. He had nothing to adjust to, and then we're going to put it on him in the second half. I'm sure that's not how it went, but that's what I convinced myself <laughs> of. Um, but it was, yeah, it kind of died down, but um, it, it, it's funny. And I, I said this on Twitter, and I saw a few other people did. Uh, Bengals captain, I'm sure most of the people watching this know him. He has his own like hype video that runs through the stadium yeah. now, and it was yeah. it was basically him just like, telling everybody to lose their minds and scream and they play it. Everybody lost their mind and scream. And it's like the Bengals took off from there. The, the deep shot to chase to start the second half hit um, and things just started rolling. I know that Burrow asked Taylor at halftime. He said, put me in empty and let me work. Um, yeah. That seemed to go well. So that was really a big boost. Um, some attribute it to the hype video. Um, and, and, and that could be the case, <laughs> but from the second half on, it was, the most electric Bengals game I've ever been to. And I, I mean, I've been to playoff games. I've been to, you know, just about any kind of game that the Bengals have had over the years, but it was, it was just different. There, I don't, I don't know. There was just a different level of it. I don't know if it was because, you know, there's so many people that came to be together. It's our first primetime game since the, you know, the entire COVID thing where, you know, I went to a, a game last year and there, there's hardly anybody there. It was kind of nice because the concession stand, stand lines were short. Yeah. The traffic yeah. wasn't bad. Like that was that was a cool aspect of it. But I, I know that the fans were back week one. But this is the Thursday night ring honor. All of the things that went into it, Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence, and it just all of that seemed to culminate into Paul Brown Stadium. And then once once that deep shot to Chase hit coming out of the 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 second or coming out of halftime, um, things really picked up from there and. And I know that you guys posted an article about it. Um, I, I don't remember exactly who wrote it, but CJ Uzama uh, completing his comeback that he tore his ACL on Thursday night football to take over a Thursday night game. He is an absolute fan favorite. He like chugged a beer from somebody on the way back to the locker room. Um, his energy and everything that he's always brought to the team, the, the fans love that and connect to it. So seeing him have that game, I think energized everybody all the more. So it was just by far, you know, the best Bengals game I've, I've ever been to. I mean, you, you tweeted, you were like, he's right, you know, he's right there at post game. I'm like, Joe Burrow's 20 feet away from me. What do I do with myself? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get your, your take on these offensive line scores and just kind of the, the, what you've seen from them so far this year before I do. And, and I want to expand on what you were just talking about a little bit. And that is, with and I gotta I gotta slide over a little bit. The sun is shifting in this room here, so I'm getting <laughs> awesome glare right into my eyeballs. But I, I noticed this week one, and you and I have been Bengals fans and followed this team and covered this team for years and years and years and years and years. I feel like there was a lot of now it happened in different halves of the games, but in week one and in week four, there was a lot of the potential. For here we go again. 
right? Yeah. There was that in, in week one, the Bengals had that big lead against Minnesota. You're feeling great. Joe Burrow's return, all this stuff. I was guilty of it for a little bit being in that stadium, and you felt it as well when the Minnesota fans there were getting louder. The game ended up somehow inexplicably becoming a tie. They go to overtime. You go, oh, man, here we go again. What do they do? They come up with the clutch plays. Young guys, rookies and or second-year players, if not, you know, Uzama, a veteran. But, I mean, Burrow, McPherson, they say, nope, we're not, we're not going to let that happen again. Close the door week one. Same thing, very similar thing happens in week four. And I think that my, my take of this is because they're getting guys from winning college programs. They've got young guys. They've got a staff that was not holdovers from Marvin Lewis or anything. They're, that's a big part of the job that needs to be done with this team is getting rid of that mindset. And so far early this season with a lot of adversity that they've faced in these games, particularly weeks one and four, I feel that they're doing a pretty good job trying to erase that entire stigma and mindset within Bengals nation. Yeah, absolutely. And Burrow said after the game in this post-game interview, he said, you know, if, if this would have been last year, we probably would have folded. Um, and I think that that's a, a testament to, you know, Zach Taylor gets his, his criticisms. He gets his criticisms from me and, and just about everybody else. But one thing that I will never take from him is, is, he, he, he keeps his team ready to play. They play for him. I know that there have been some comments after games about downfield shots where people said, are the players turning on him? I don't think it was that. I think they were just giving their opinions. And I think right. Zach gives them the platform and the freedom to give their opinions. Um, and I think that's one thing that kind of helps with them. He's very open-minded, but he, he put together a great game plan in the second half, um, you know, regardless of how the first half went. Um, but w- when you're looking at the offensive line grades, um, somebody that I will admit that I've been wrong about, I was not high on Jonah Williams coming into this year. Um, you know, I know he graded out pretty well Thursday night. Um, I think he's given up one sack um, over the season. Um, and, you know, I was a I was a team Sewell guy. Um, and then I've changed my mindset to where, OK, I want to draft Penny Sewell. We drafted Jamar Chase. He's wearing stripes. That's my guy. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. So I kind of. Yeah. I let that go. I actually said publicly a week or so ago, I was like, I'm never having the Penny Sewell conversation again. It's over. <laughs> um, so he looked good. I've always been a big Quentin Spain fan. Um, I've always liked him. I thought, you know, the, the, the situation that he came into last year where he came in in the middle of a COVID season, had to do the quarantine, had to sit out, played almost instantly in that Tennessee game. Um, I think that he did well. I've always been a fan of him. Um, Hopkins, I think is getting back a little bit. A lot of people seem to forget, you know, the big injury obviously was Burrow, but the last game of the season is when Trey Hopkins tore his ACL. Um, and so he had, you know, a a two, three month later start to his rehab process than Burrow did. Um, so he's, I think it's going to take him some time to round back into shape. He didn't focus on getting, you know, faster or stronger or better this off season. He just rehabbed. Um, so, and that's all he can do. So I think that he'll round out, um, you know, I know he graded at the 77.7. So I think he's improving. Um, the Carmen grade was surprising to me. And I said this earlier, um, PFF is awesome. Andrew Russell is a phenomenal account to follow. Um, I am still working into learning exactly how the grading works. It's very detailed, um, you know, cause he, he didn't get beat for sacks. Um, I saw him lose some blocks. So I, I'm a big eye test guy, as I've said before, but um, Carmen's grade being that low did kind of surprise me. And I, I'm working kind of more and more to learn what goes into these PFF grades, um, especially with linemen. I feel like it can be a little bit tricky. 
Um, and then uh, Reef, you know, 58.5. I didn't expect it to be that bad from what I saw Thursday night um, and watching the game back on Friday. Um, but he's another one of the veteran guys that I think has helped the team in general. Um, we're improved. You know, the offensive line isn't elite. It's not up there with the best in the league. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. But I, I do think that it's vastly improved from last year, and that's why, you know, Burrow's getting more. I feel like also Burrow's getting more and more comfortable each week with escaping the pocket, with hanging in the pocket as it may be closing in around him. Um, I just think he's kind of getting his legs back under him too. Um, so, you know, the, that's always been the Achilles heel that we've talked about the last couple of years is the offensive line. I think that they're getting better. Um, I just, to, to fully understand the grades, I think I have to do some more studying and I've been trying. <laughs> yeah. We've had, um, Evan McPhillips on the, on the show. He's, you know, he's done some stuff with PFF, a great follow as well. I'd like to get Andrew on to talk a little bit more about that. Here's my take on this. First of all, let's, for those who are listening to the audio of this, it's, the pass blocking grades for the offensive line from Thursday night. This is not the overall PFF score, just the pass blocking grades. 80.7 for Jonah Williams being the tops of the group. Quentin Spain, 77.0. Hopkins, 77.7. Carmen, the lowest at 43.5. Reef, 58.5. So here's my thing with it, Drew. And, I, you know, we, we've got more to get to and we'll, we'll do that. But my, my, the, the realization that I have kind of come to with, with these grades and, and, you know, the disparity between Carmen's grades. And then you look at a guy like Bobby Hart and, um, you know, other guys who have been at the revolving door over the past couple of years um, at, at right guard that get better grades than these 43.5s that you see from Carmen. It's that my, my thinking or understanding is that Carmen, when he has a bad rep, it doesn't devastate or demolish the entire, the whole play. Right. Whereas if right. Bobby Hart had a bad rep, there was a, a an egregious penalty. There was, a, you know, he misses a block and it turns <laughs> into a back fumble, um, that sort of thing. So my 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 point is is why it doesn't look as bad to all of us is there are missed reps. It's just not creating devastating plays that we have seen in the past. That's my guess, at least, or one of the reasons why. I mean, Reef at fifty eight point five. You can go back and look at the 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 infamous. Uzama jailbreak screen at the end to set up the game winning field goal reefs out there in space, making a nice block. Right. So, yep. um, so there's, there are some disparities. And when you look at it from a snap to snap basis, I, I think there, there, you see that there are some bad snaps obviously from some of these guys, but they're just not absolutely imploding a play like you've seen from he sh who shall not be named former right guard of the Bengals and Bobby Hart as well. <laughs> uh, that's my, that's kind of my takeaway from it. That's, that's kind of the understanding that I've got as I've looked, as I've looked into it a little bit more. Um, I haven't talked directly to, you know, any of the PFF guys in the Cincinnati area, but kind of looking into it, that's kind of what I've learned is, as and, and I kind of tweeted about this earlier. I'm kind of transitioning from just a fan to a guy that covers the team. So there's there's things that I have to understand a little bit more that I'm working right. on. You know, I'm a big eye test guy because I've been a fan my whole life. I've just started doing this inside a kind of a you know a professional, so to speak, fashion. So I'm I'm learning too, but I think that, that is a big thing about it is you know, maybe maybe Carmen misses the block, but the ball gets out quick so Burrow doesn't get hit or, or things like that. So I think you're on the right track with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to learn a bit more about it myself, but um, we're gonna we're gonna cruise along. We've got a lot more to get to. Talking with Drew Garrison at Drew underscore LRT on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Happy to be chatting with him as we talk some Bengals. Talking. Hopefully, you got some more time, man. Um, 
talking I've got with all night, man. No TV <laughs> football practice tonight. I got all, all right. night. All right. Uh, talking some Cincinnati Bengals, going through some headlines as the Bengals head into. I can't believe we're we're heading into week five already. Going against the the Green Bay Packers, going through some headlines with the Bengals, the AFC North, etc. So make sure you go give Drew a follow on Twitter. There. Let's share this one. I guess quickly. We've kind of talked a bit about the offensive line. We've talked a bit about the, the Bengals and what happened on Thursday night. Here's Joe Burrow joining um, some some Hall of Fame quarterbacks here. Burrow joining Kurt Warner, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino in this group. What is the group, you ask? Second-year quarterbacks with two-plus touchdowns in each of their team's first four games of the season. This is courtesy of at NFL Research. Hall of Famer Dan Marino in 1984. He won the MVP that year, by the way. Hall of Famer Peyton Manning in 1999, 13-3 that season. Uh, I think they went 3-13 and 13 the year before in his rookie year, if I remember correctly. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner in 99, uh, won MVP in Super Bowl that year. And Joey B in 21, second-year quarterbacks with two-plus touchdowns in each of their team's first four games of the season. A little obscure in terms of a stat, but an impressive one nonetheless, Drew. Yeah, absolutely, and it's you know great great company to be in. Um, we got to get Peyton Manning on Twitter though. I just noticed that he's not tagged. He, he must not have a Twitter. Is Eli? Is Twitter. Eli on Twitter? I think Eli recently got on Twitter. Oh man! Thinking. And then he throws up uh, the double words and he goes radio <laughs> silent. But yeah, no no Peyton and Eli game last night. <laughs> um, and you know you look at you can make an argument at the Marino. Um, you know, they didn't throw the ball as much back then. Well, maybe not. So, you know, Burrow definitely has more opportunities than a lot of these guys. But regardless, man, that is elite company to be in. And that's something for him to build on. You know, I've never been big on – there was a lot of Andy Dalton, um, Peyton Manning comparisons his first few years in the league. And I tried not to buy into them because I, I was just never fully an Andy Dalton believer. Um, so I try not to, to look into that too, too much. But, I mean, the pace that he's on coming off of the offseason surgery that he had – it's it's impressive nonetheless. So speaking of Joe Burrow and speaking of the Cincinnati Bengals, you, my friend, had an interesting exchange with a national radio host on Twitter. <laughs> Colin, I, I actually was almost going to tweet this out. I was I was on in the car listening to. So I don't I don't tweet and drive, folks. Um, the. I was listening to Colin Cowherd and uh, I, I was in the car and he went on this diatribe that was a very, I, I understand it from a national perspective, but it is a, a bit tired. And really what he's saying is, you know, Joe Burrow's great. I just hope the Bengals don't ruin him. I hope they don't bring him down. I hope they don't, you know, all the things we've heard for a lot, a long time compared him to uh, Montana. And this was of course the day after the Thursday night football game. And so you you kind of said, you know, this is a tired narrative. He responded to you. Well, here's here's a response in it uh, of its own here. DJ Reader recently came out, and this is on Bengals.com. Let me get the right article. Where is this thing here? Um, I want to point out while you pull that up, I don't know how Colin found that tweet. I didn't tweet at him when I said at him. I, yeah. I answer. Yeah. Does he sit at home on Saturdays and like search his own name on Twitter? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel <laughs> like it's his now. It, I think he might be an empty nester where his kids are grown and out of the house. Could so be. I think he kind of just chills and monitors Twitter and watches football all weekend. It sounds like it. 
I, I don't get to listen to his show daily. I enjoy him. Uh, you know, I, 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 enjoy I do him. too. I think he's good at what he does, but I do think there are times where he, he really coattail rides teams like, you know, the, the teams that have traditionally been powerhouses and, or those that bring in a lot of viewership. And I think he plays to that audience there, but I, I, this is kind of what's playing into, you know, a lot of people bashed Colin a little bit about his take on this DJ reader basically said his agent in a, a very weird free agency period last year said, you have a choice. You're going to get your money either way. You can go to Denver and play with Drew Locke, or I, I, I suppose the Bengals, even in free agency, part of their sales pitch to agents and players was we're going to have a generational talent who we believe is a generational talent at quarterback and Joe Burrow coming to this team. And we're going to be building something special. And reader said, give me Burrow. Absolutely. And so the rest is history. Signed a four year, $53 million deal. Unfortunately didn't get to see the first year all the way through was playing pretty well until he got hurt last year and is now a big reason why the Bengals defense is playing well this year. So that kind of was like, well, Colin, did you, did you see this article? And he didn't. And that's kind of the that's the point that I was making um, was, you know, it's just kind of an old, tired, lazy narrative. And, you know, I, I don't care that the Bengals didn't buy Gatorade in 2001 anymore. It's 2021. Let's let's let it go. OK, they used to be really cheap. People used to have to use use jock straps or, or whatever the case, you know, the stuff that TJ said on Coward Show. Um, you know, that that's fine. It, you know, you can laugh at it, whatever. But they, they've come a long way from it was my point. And it's just the basic, oh, well, the Bengals are cheap. You know, it doesn't have a doesn't have a general manager. I understand that there's no general manager title. There's Duke Tobin, who is a de facto uh, general manager. But, you know, looking at what you're looking at right now, the outdoor practice, the indoor practice facility or lack thereof didn't seem to play into DJ Reader's um, decision making, kind of like Colin had said. And Willie Lutz, I don't know his Twitter handle off the top of my head, but Willie Lutz said, about that article he said you know and you could see joe burrow was making positive impacts in free agency before he was actually a Bengal. like that's yeah. that's how much people believe in him people yeah. really buy into that guy and that can overcome the fact that you might have to practice in the cold by the highway that that is true i i will say that if the Bengals do somehow in the near future build an indoor practice facility um that will show quite a bit of changes in terms of what's going on with that team because i know marvin quietly pushed for that and i think part of the issue and this is what bingo jim had told me one time is it's 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 city county zoning issues with where the practice facility is in relation to highways and things like that um i don't think it's the the lack of motivation i think it's it's the idea of where the stadium is it's right in the heart of downtown obviously um and people people forget that when they need it they go to UC. It's 10 minutes away. They take a bus. They practice indoors at UC when they need it. So it's available. It's just kind of like the Steelers. They share an indoor facility with, with the University of Pittsburgh. That's kind of the same thing. It's easy to criticize when you're not winning, but when you are winning, it's uh, easy to overlook some of these yeah. things that have been thorns in the side. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Talking with Drew Garrison, part of CincyJungle.com's staff, contributor there, and uh, also a host of Locker Room Talk podcast. Go check that out. Let's keep cruising along. We talked a little bit about him with the PFF scores and Andrew Russell, uh, Dave Lapham talked about Jackson Carmen's performance. So maybe this will provide, I probably should have gone right there after we were talking about that instead of the Colin Coward situation, but that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. I got a lot of stuff that we're covering here. Um, look quote on, on, on his podcast quote, I think he meaning, uh, Jackson Carmen has made significant strides since the early stages of training camp. He's lost 10 to 15 pounds. He's in great football shape. He's got talent. Jackson Carmen has some physical skills. There's no two ways about it. He's plenty smart enough. The kid's talented. Quote, Frank Pollock was extremely tough on Jackson Carmen. He didn't care about accolades. He didn't care about how good of a high school or college player he was. He said, I can get more out of this guy. And it sounds like Carmen is responding, particularly with getting playing time early in the season. It was a bit unexpected. Suofilo was in there and, and starting, but an injury kind of paved the way here. It would seem, Drew, that this that Carmen's probably going to hang on to this job unless he completely just starts imploding, which it does not seem to be the case. There seems to be some good plays on tape, some bad plays on tape. The good thing that I saw, uh, some positives that I've seen since he's been starting – is a little bit more of an ability to effectively pick up stunts and other things going on up front. Whereas that was a real problem the first couple of weeks of the season. And it wasn't just on Suofilo either. There were just some communication issues along the entire line, but I've seen a couple of instances from great follows on Twitter and just my own re rewatching of the games that that hasn't been as, as big of an issue with Jackson Carmen in the lineup as it was before. Yeah, and I, I was, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was fairly critical of the Carmen pick kind of from the time it happened. And then when we get to the season, you know, he starts out third on the depth chart and, and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. He's, he's not starting. I'm like, you know, this is your second round pick. This isn't a guy you picked up in the fourth or the fifth. This is a second round pick. That's a premium pick. This guy should contribute. And, you know, some of the answers I got were, you know, well, he's coming off back surgery. And I'm like, well, maybe don't draft a guy coming off back surgery. Just especially when your line needed so much help. Um, and then, you know, Suofilo got the nod um, and it wasn't good. Um, you know, I, I've always been a, a pretty, pretty big fan of Suofilo. I've always thought he's been a solid guy, but the reality of the situation is he's kind of the journeyman type, much like Spain. Spain's just playing better. So, you know, unfortunately you don't root for anybody to get injured, um, but Suofilo gets injured. Now we get to see our second round pick in action. We get to see, you know, what this kid's got. Um, and he's looked like a rookie plenty of times. Um, he's, you know, he's had his struggles like we've talked about. But even when Suofilo gets healthy, the interior offensive line has been better since Jackson Carmen was inserted into it. That's just the way that it is. It has been better. It's not, you know, like I said earlier, it's not a lead. It's not all, you know, all of that stuff. But it has been better. Um, you drafted him in the second round. Let's just we, we've got to ride it out at this point, like you said, unless he is just completely getting demolished and Burrow's getting beat to death and we can't run to his side of the line. You know, if he's got very egregious issues that show up and he's just getting beat and beat and beat. OK, let's let's put the vet back in. But, you know, as, as of now, I think 
he's already been in there. He's had a couple games. He's he played pretty well in that Pittsburgh game, especially. I know their line was banged up, um, but just run with it. He's your second round pick. He should be on the field. The, the the way that the NFL works now is these guys don't sit anymore. Keep him in there unless he is you know putting our team in grave danger, and and let him figure it out because as of right now, he has looked better in the last two games than I saw from Suafilo in the first two. That's the way I look at it. I can't. Uh, I, I agree, and I, I think this, the ceiling's the ceiling's higher, right? I mean, that's just uh, yeah, you, know, absolutely. You, have, you have more room for the development, and that's kind of what uh, you know what is, is the truth of the matter right now. Let's keep going on here because some of the accolades, and then we'll start transitioning into some different things. Some of the accolades keep rolling in. We saw some stuff about Joe Burrow being an elite company in terms of performance as a second-year quarterback. Here's some more. This guy is playing pretty damn nice football for the Bengals, Drew. Uh, Logan Wilson, the the middle linebacker for the Bengals. I was, I had high hopes for this guy for sure. I was a little, I don't want to say taken aback, but I was a little surprised that the Bengals so early in Wilson's career said, "Hey, you're going to be the quarterback of the defense. You're going to call the plays. You're going to you're going to line people up on defense." Not only has he done that effectively, but he has made explosive plays to help the team win and or come close to winning the only game they lost so far. But Brian Baldinger is a big fan of him. Baldinger, a, a really fun follow on Twitter as well from his Phenomenal. film review. Quote, they got their quarterback on defense, he said on Twitter. This is the best. This is one of the best young defensive players in the league. And you got to start getting to know just who Logan Wilson is. He wears double nickel, meaning his jersey number. Is there a better linebacker number than 55? That's Baldinger going old school on us. This kid's <laughs> going to be a star. He might already be one, but this kid can play football. And when he hits you, you go down, play is over. Here's the difference. And one major difference I see in Logan Wilson this year, as opposed to, I mean, there were some nice plays last year. The game looked a little fast for him at times last year, but the big difference is last year he had his hands on interceptions and he didn't catch all of them this yeah, he year. Just pulls them in now. He just and it's and the one he pulled against uh, the Steelers, the where he's diving away from a fluttering ball and he ends up scooping it out of the air. It's you know some of the ones last year hit him right in the hands and he didn't he didn't make the play. Akeem Davis Gaither was guilty of the same thing, but man, he's just making the 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 explosive plays right now. He is, and I I, I had said this um, I believe after the Pittsburgh game. When was the last time that we had a truly dynamic game-changing linebacker playing in Cincinnati? It was the last guy that wore 55. Yeah. Now I know that there's a lot to be made about Vontez Perfect on the field and and the, the the issues that he had, but Bengals fans, not you know, not the talking heads, kind of like we were talking about earlier, that watch Vontez Perfect play. There was a point in time where he was one of the top linebackers in the league. Oh, for um, sure. You know, and he just he had trouble kind of towing that line. Um, and now we're seeing it with Wilson in a, a higher effect because he's, he gets his hands on the ball. He finds the football. Um, and I see Casey says it reminds him of Luke Keekley. Uh, that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, Wilson is perfect without the bonehead crap. And that's kind of what it is. He just finds the ball. Um, you know, uh, 10 tackles Thursday night, I believe, uh, 13 the week before. Um that that's your middle linebacker. That's number fifty-five. That's the, the you know the quarterback of your defense. That's exactly what you want out of him. And that is something I think the Bengals have been missing. Even when Burfick was still around for the last couple of years, he wasn't the same guy. 
Um, they, they've been missing that for a long time. And I think that is a huge reason uh, why this defense is so improved is they, they've got that anchor that can play that middle level of the field. You know, the, the corners have always been all right. We've always had pretty decent D-line rotations when Lawson was there with Dunlap. Um, but that, that guy kind of anchoring down the middle, holding down the middle, and he can control that. And he almost plays center field, you know, a little bit in the scheme that we're running. And I that is my next jersey purchase. I will tell you that. That is the next Bengals jersey that I will buy will be a 55. You know, a lot of people are saying perfect because of the jersey and Luke Keekley and all of that. I almost go back even further and I say playmaking ability of Odell Thurman, but a more physical play. I mean, Thurman was, was a, was a really good player for a year for this team. I think he had five interceptions as a rookie for, for the Bengals made the big plays, but he wasn't quite the, the, the physical presence. He was a little smaller, smaller than a perfect, than a Logan Wilson. I mean, I I'm seeing the big plays a la Odell Thurman, but also a little more sound tackling. I mean, it, it's just, it's coming together nicely. And this plan, you know, we were, and me especially, have been very critical of Lou Anarumo. And all of a sudden, Lou's guys are really starting to play really well. You got Reader, you got BJ Hill, you got Ogan Joby, you have Logan Wilson, your draft pick. Davis Gaither's putting out some nice plays this year. All of a sudden, Lou's guys are shutting us up a little bit. Absolutely. And I was, I was one of the critical of Lou guys as well. And that was leading into this season, but they have, they have completely shut me up. Um, it's been a long time since we've had a defense that you, you can really count on. And, and it's not, you know, against just bad teams. I mean, Minnesota's got a top five offense in the league. They did going into Sunday. They had a, a, a kind of a rough one against Cleveland, but you know, them, and then you, you go against Pittsburgh who I know isn't doing great this year, but it, it's Pittsburgh. That game is different for us. You know, like you, you throw a lot of things out when the Bengals and the Steelers line the ball up. Um, had a pretty good game against Chicago, to be completely honest with you. Uh, the offense couldn't get it together that game. That day, that game. So um, they're they're going to keep us in a lot of games. Um, they've got a tall task with one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game coming up Sunday. Um, but as you said, lose guys are right. Um, Trey Henderson's been worth every dollar. Um, yep. Sam Hubbard's not going to get juked out of his shoes again, like like Trevor did to him. He Sam Hubbard's been just as solid as you would expect him to be. Uh, contract extension, no contract extension. I do think Thursday night um, we miss Chidobia Wuzie bad. We miss Jesse Bates bad. Um, I hope that they're back, and I hope that the Bengals break their their historic mode and. Sign Jesse Bates to a contract as soon as possible, please. Well, we're going to get to some of these injuries and whatnot, uh, some updates coming up. The long uh, little extra break there after a Thursday game is definitely helping the Cincinnati Bengals, but they've got another injury to worry about. We'll talk about that before we do. Just a quick swag check, I guess, Drew. Uh, Joe Daneman of Fox 19. Jamar Chase was asked who he thinks his competition for Rookie of the Year is this year. And he said, I don't feel like I'm in competition with anyone. I feel like they're in I like that. So if you want to know the confidence level of this team, the young guys, particularly the, the LSU guys, there you go. That says a lot right there. No one's in competition. I'm not in competition with anyone for rookie of the year. They're in competition with me. And he is not wrong. He is playing every bit as advertised for this team and bringing an element to this team, even with T. Higgins out. He is still making big plays, managing. And, and here's the thing that I, I've said a couple of times. I know some other folks have said it too. 
this is there's one thing that really impresses me on on these deep balls. There are points, and you see it in the college tape, and it has translated to the pros. And I didn't, I wasn't fully sure it, it would translate, but the one thing that I see, he's running. You know, someone has good coverage or perceived good coverage on him on these deep balls. That ball is in the air. All of a sudden, he's got an extra gear. There, there there's uh, somehow. I don't know if it's the the defensive back kind of finally t- turning and looking at the ball and losing some speed. It's Jamar Chase's speed, a combination of all of the above. But somehow he finds an extra gear, and all of a sudden there there is about three steps of separation that were not there when you when you first looked at the route developing, and that is making a huge difference this year. You saw that in the um, the d- deep touchdown against Pittsburgh, especially yep. where yep. you know Burrow left that ball out in front of him a little bit. It's like he's running, he turns his head, he finds the ball. It's like okay, now let's let's flip it up a notch. It, it, it's crazy. It's something that this offense has been missing. I know that you know we all know that Burrow's deep ball rating last year was not good. Um, we we had I think one touchdown off of it all year. Um, he put in a lot of work. He said you know as he rehabbed his. Um, his knee, he learned about his hips and stuff, stuff a little bit more like that. But I think that the Jamar Chase effect is real because everybody has to respect the deep threat now. All due respect to AJ Green, love AJ Green, you know, oh, wrong hand. Oh, there he is. Um, he just didn't have that last year for whatever reason. He didn't have that last year. Nobody respected our deep ball last year. Now you've got to respect Chase going over top. You still have Higgins who can go over top. You got Boyd that's going to work the slot. They have to respect that. And right now, even with Higgins out, they finally – one of the, the things that I got a buddy that's a big Jags fan was they finally – Shaquem Griffin for, the, for Jacksonville is always on the outside, and he was doing a pretty good job on Chase um, most of the game there. So Zach Taylor had a great idea, great great coaching move, was, was bringing him inside. That's one thing that I think people may not see about Jamar Chase yet is he can go straight down the sideline. He can outrun guys. He can go up and high point a ball, but he can also come inside and work the middle and move the chains and do some of the Tyler Boyd esque stuff. So he is, he's been exactly what you want out of a guy that you draft fifth overall. Absolutely. And that, like I said, was a a little bit of a swag check And here. Some things, it, it blows my mind because the Bengals were, a couple of plays and just four points away from being four and zero at this point in time. And I know shoulda, woulda, coulda, but there, there's something to be said for that. This is an article on uh, the, on, on Cincy jungle here. Look at the Bengals current odds of making the playoffs. And we'll, we'll get to another graphic in just a second. The, the Bengals, uh, According to the extra point, the Bengals three and one record gives them a 67% chance of making the playoffs. The odds have been calculated based on the new 17 game season, along with the NFL's expanded 14 team playoff season. I think there are, uh, and the, the, you know, I'll, I'll share this. Uh, I'll share this link with the live chats here, but I think that there are, well, I know that there are some tricky games coming up. Uh, for the Bengals, including this week coming up against Green Bay. You've got one against uh, Kansas City. You've got two against Baltimore. You've got another one. I know Pittsburgh's going to look to rebound against. So, I mean, there's two against Cleveland. There's some tough ones on the slate here, but the Bengals are playing good football. And I think, I mean, I know ideal, ideal is 4-0 through the month of September. But I think as we looked at that schedule, I, I think we all kind of said, you know, if the Bengals can come out of that 3-1, and there is a legitimate playoff chance for this team. And lo and behold, that's where they're at. Absolutely. I think that 
Uh, a good start was absolutely vital to the team because it does get a little bit tougher, you know, as the, as you get into the deeper months of the schedule, um, you know, that game with the chargers is going to be tough. Um, you're going to have two tough ones with Cleveland. You're going to have two tough ones with Baltimore, um, Pittsburgh, regardless of the issues they have, like I had said earlier, you throw a lot of stuff out in that game. Um, Kansas city, you know, their defense is struggling right now, but they're still the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick, If Patrick Mahomes is on the field, it's going to be a tough game. Um, so the, the hot start that they've gotten out to, that game in Chicago would have been great to pick up. That's one of my more critical games of Zach. Um, and, you know, Burrow wasn't good that day either. Um, that would have been nice. But we're uh, – we got to – if the season ended today in week four, I like it. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, so we, we, we've got – it's all in front of us now. You know, we've done what we needed to do the first quarter of the season. Um, and if we can, you know, pull out some of these games that people aren't going to pick us. I think the Green Bay game is um, going to be a little bit closer than I think we might have expected. Um, I think that that's going to be – I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a blast. So that will kind of – that's a measuring stick game uh, to us. You know, Jacksonville is yeah. for, um, for a reason. Um, you know, Chicago's not doing great. We did lose to them. Um, so that's that's a big measuring stick game where I think we're going to see where a lot of these players are, where Zach is, um, and, and kind of how things go. But the, the first month of the season was what we needed if we're going to get back into the playoffs. And I can only imagine a potential home playoff game in Cincinnati with this newfound energy and the fan base and the newfound um, engagement from the front office. That would be crazy. Yeah, that right now, if, if you're seeing this graphic through week four, the Bengals currently hold the two seed in the AFC where they would host seven seed Denver Broncos, who they actually play also at mile high later this regular season. So you've got the Chargers as the one seed. You've got the Bengals as the two seed, the Bills as the three seed, the Titans as the four seed. They've been a mixed bag so far uh, as the four seed. You've got the Raiders as the five seed who really were impressing until uh, they, they lost last night. And then you've got Baltimore as the six seed and Broncos as the seven seed. And then the NFC, you've got Arizona as the one seed, Dallas as the two seed, Tampa as the three seed, Green Bay as the four seed, Rams as five, Carolina as the six seed and Washington as the seven seed. And I got to tell you, I know a lot has to be played out. Uh, but I, I think a playoff game between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow would just be awesome to watch. That would be um, bonkers. Yeah, that would. I know that's but not both where those dudes are so currently. Good. Yeah, they're 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 really really good, really good. Uh, all right, let's before we start talking, uh, and we're going a little long, but this has been absolutely incredible. Hopefully, you're still okay on time, Drew. Um, all good, man. We've uh, we, we've got a lot. To, this has been an awesome chat. We've got a lot of live listeners so thank you for tuning in live he is drew garrison of cincyjungle.com and locker room talk i'm anthony kazenza with the orange and black insider and cincy jungle happy to have all the live listeners checking us out we stream live on a number of different twitter accounts whether it's my own at cj anthony cui the obi uh twitter account at bangles obi cincy jungles twitter account and then, of course, we also stream on Cincy Jungle's Facebook and our own YouTube channel. So a lot of different ways to check out the live show where Drew's kicking us off with a slate of awesome live guests coming up this week himself. We've got Mike Petraglia set to join us tomorrow night on the Wednesday night show. We've got the Orange Arrow giving out a little bit of fantasy football advice later this week. And then we've got Malik Wright 
set to join us on Friday for Listener Questions Live. So a lot of fun guests, and you have been awesome, Drew. We're going to keep it rolling here because now we've got some injury stuff to talk about. This one scares me a little bit on the negative side of things. And this is from Adam Schefter as of yesterday. Bengals Joe Mixon was diagnosed with a low-grade ankle sprain that will leave him week-to-week per source. Now, thankfully, it is not one of those high what, what do you call them the high ankle sprains where they it just yeah. they linger and you're like oh boy here we go you know this could be two weeks this could be a month this could be six weeks unfortunately for as good as joe mixon is and how valuable he is to this offense this seems to be kind of a thing in his in his career where he'll miss a game miss two games and, and last year was much more than that there have just and unfortunately it just comes with the wear and tear of the position and the way he plays it uh, but unfortunately, ankle injury, we don't know quite yet what his status is for this week. The long week helps. Um, I think at best he would be limited in this game, Drew, but we'll we'll see. Not great news for Joe Mixon, though. Schefter kind of threw me off with that, though, because I see that he's week to week. And when I see week to week, I think, OK, so there's probably no chance he plays Sunday. So I kind of tweeted, I was like, all right, Mixon's not going. We're going to see some Perrine. We're going to see P. Ryan. We're going to see some Chris Evans. Um, but then a few hours later, Zach does his press conference, and he says he's more so day-to-day. Um, and he said, don't read into it too much if he doesn't practice on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so he's, he said that all of the injured guys have a shot to go uh, on Sunday. But those ankle injury, man, those ankle sprains, they can linger. They can stay with you for a long time. Um, I, I – a hindered Joe Mixon is not good for us at all. Um, you know, I know he didn't have his strongest game on uh, Thursday, but he had a, a pretty solid second half before he went down. So here's to hoping that, you know, the, the mini buy as they call it after a Thursday night game helps him. Um, but my personal opinion is if you think he's close, you might have to try to survive this thing without him just to, to look forward for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I, I would hate to lose him for the rest of the year because we try to push him out for this big game against Rogers as much as I would love to have him out there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking playoffs now you know, with a 67% chance of the playoffs. We're going to need that guy there. So not always the greatest decisions have been made with medical things from, from the Bengals. I think it's getting better. Um, so I hope that they, they do that correctly and, if he's safe to go, I want to see him out there, but if it's going to risk anything for the future, you might have to sit him and just duel it out with Aaron Rodgers, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, and, and Zach Taylor in, in the press conference that followed that tweet kind of, I think you mentioned it a little bit there, Drew. He kind of debunked that a little bit, said, you know, I never I never said this or that. Um, you know, Adam Schefter cited a source that said he would be week to week in, in the specific injury. So regardless – um, you know, the, some mixed messaging there, but uh, it, it, Joe Mixon's dealing with with an ankle situation. We'll see exactly what happens there. But the good news is we've got some positive updates on a number of important players who missed last week going forward, including Jesse Bates, T. Higgins, um, and and others there. So good, some good news here. And we'll go down here. I think there's a Marissa Contepelli tweet saying he uh, Taylor expects both T. Higgins and Jesse Bates to practice this week, which would be a good sign for them to play Sunday. And Bates would be uber important 
going up Absolutely. against a guy, a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Not that T. Higgins is not, but uh, Bates on that defense. And I think they were they, as you mentioned, they really missed Bates and Awuzie last week. Ricardo Allen is going through the final phases of clearance. He actually is a quiet. He had a he had a really solid week one. Um, as kind of one of those swing safety guys, he'd be a, a really effective piece to be able to use um, pretty soon here. Suafilo is day to day, and Awuzie will practice Wednesday, so we'll get a, a more clearer picture later this week. But some good stuff on that. It looks like um, they're they're getting healthier, and then of course they had the the luxury of playing Trey Waynes last week. There was a, a big catch given up by Waynes to Lavisca Chenault. But if you go back and look at that, Wayne's kind of got punched twice by Chenault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pushed, off, pushed off on that a little bit. Um, so, you know, I think if you have Wayne's, you're getting a Wouzier back. Hopefully Jesse Bates practices and comes back and does does all the things that, um, that, that needs to be done to play. And then, of course, you've got T. Higgins out there. You kind of get a little bit of all hands on deck despite what's going on with Joe Mixon. Yeah, absolutely. And Bates being back against Aaron Rodgers is massive, as you had said. I think Awuzie is going to be a big one too. He has been very good. He yes. and I, I've said this before. You know, the the money invested in him and Mike Hilton um, is less than it looks like you would have had to pay William Jackson to stay. And William Jackson's having a tough year out there in DC. Um, the Awuzie signing was someone that I always thought could be under the radar, but I've been very impressed by him. If you can give me Bates and Awuzie back, I'll feel a lot better about the game. That's not a knock on T Higgins. I love T Higgins. Um, but you know, if, if out of those three, I had to pick one to sit, I still think it would be T because we've got Tyler Boyd, we've got, um, Jamar chase. We've, you know, we've got some of the other options there. So if I had to pick, those would be my two, just because we are going against Aaron freaking Rogers <laughs> and he's always going to be Aaron Rogers. Um, so, but yeah, very positive. I think that if we had not been on a short week that, that Bates probably could have gone, he didn't look too banged up. Um, but he's definitely a guy he's definitely, yeah, he finished the game. He's definitely a guy that you don't risk the rest of the season on. And part of me does wonder, and I don't, maybe I'm thinking too much here. Did he say, I'm not going to play on a short week when I'm a little bit banged up because I don't have a contract beyond this year. That could possibly be a thing. Maybe. Um, I, but man, he would make a massive difference against Rogers because there's a significant drop off between Jesse Bates and most other safeties in the league. He's the best yep. in the league. So yep. uh, having that guy back would be massive. I hope that that thing all comes through um, in our favor. And he's lining up Sunday and picking off Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. William Jackson happens. made a whole career off a of pick six from Rodgers. So maybe Bates can do that and get it. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, people still. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, we'll see more as the, the week progresses to see what happens with these guys. There is a possibility that the Bengals get back most, if not all of these important players as they go up against green Bay, we're going to be here for just a little bit longer talking some now AFC North and the rest of the NFL. So it's been a long episode, but it's been a really, really fun one with Drew Garrison of Cincy jungle and locker room talk before we get to the rest of the news around the AFC North and the NFL. I are you familiar with symbol drew do you know do you know anything about symbol symbol i am not familiar with symbol you are not familiar with symbol how dare you sir how dare you because educate you gotta, me <laughs> you got to check out symbol s-i-m-b-u-l-l dot app backslash obi if you play fantasy football drew do you, do you do survival pools do you do any of that stuff 
I do all of that stuff, man. I invest a lot of money on a weekly basis and <laughs> yearly basis into this stuff. Well, this is this is kind of melding that side of things with uh, a little bit of playing the, the stock market. And you can deposit some money and buy shares of stock in particular teams. I know since our partnership with Symbol, if, if folks of ours, listener, listeners of ours have invested in the Bengals, they have made quite a bit of money because I think the Bengals were at about $25, $30 a share when we first partnered with them back in spring. And then the draft hit, preseason hit, and the Bengals starting at three and one. And that thing has uh, close to tripled, I know doubled at least so far per share. So you can make some money. That's really cool. Money on, yeah, you can make some money on the Cincinnati Bengals. You can make some money on different sports teams, and you can do it in the short term, or you can make it a long-term play. If you think the Cincinnati Bengals or another team have things headed in the right direction for years to come, you can hang on to these shares and make some money doing so. You can go to simbull.app backslash OBI. And, oh, by the way, if you're a listener of this show, you can use the promo code OBI and get incentives with Symbol. So go ahead and do that. We're going to be joined tomorrow briefly by Kenneth Giles, the CEO of Symbol, to tell us a little bit more about what's going on and the increasing number of incentives that we have with them. So you won't want to miss that. But uh, good stuff from them. Happy to be partnering with them. Go check them out. S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash OBI. I'm doing yep. that as soon as we get done. I I I hadn't seen that that is incredibly cool it's it's really cool it's a very unique uh niche in terms of um you know it's not really sports betting it's not really sports gambling it's kind of a sports investment type of opportunity yeah. to invest in specific teams so very unique and under things i wish i thought of <laughs> i know it's actually a, a really cool thing that they've uh a little niche i shouldn't say little but a, a cool niche that they've carved out of the the fantasy football, sports betting, sports investment kind of sphere. So happy to be partnering with them once again and uh, really throughout the regular season. Good stuff. The Cleveland Browns, Drew, I, did you watch that game? My I God. did. It Just was a dreadful game to watch. Oh, yeah, it was bad. I uh, I have a I have Sunday ticket. I, I should have changed it. So I, I do. A, I've got a, a large TV and then I've got four other small ones mounted to the side. So I watched five games at once. And for some reason that stayed on the main screen for four hours. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was out and about and I kind of watched a little bit from my phone and I, you know, I was paying attention to that one and I'm going, why am I watching this game? This is just brutal TV to watch, but Cleveland uh, got the win against Minnesota in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota. Gosh, what are, what are they now? One and one and three and, Things are not so. looking good there. Yeah. Uh, but interesting article here on clevelandbrowns.com. We all know that the Cleveland Browns offensive line is quite formidable. Uh, Scott Peters has used his deep MMA knowledge to help the Browns O-line even stronger is an article from Anthony Poizel, one of the staff writers there. Uh, and and the he talk, talks about the mechanics of jujitsu and all that kind of stuff. He is uh, obviously Scott Peters is the assistant offensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns, uh, you know, played in the NFL, et cetera. But he took, he has taken some of the disciplines of MMA, jiu-jitsu, et cetera, and applied them to some of the coaching he is uh, using with the Browns offensive line. And it is paying off. The, the Browns are doing what they do. They pound the football. They are doing exceptionally well running the football. 
uh, Baker Mayfield struggling a little bit more than than last year in terms of off play action, et cetera. But they're winning football games and they are doing it via Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and that offensive line. So a unique approach. We've seen a little bit more of this recently, and you've seen some offensive linemen individually kind of gravitate towards the MMA side of things to to add to their deal. But we haven't really seen too many teams specifically applying this, Drew. So I thought this was kind of an interesting article. That is, and it's it's you know it's very unconventional, but it's it's clearly working. Um, you know they they had the the highest rated offensive line last year in running and passing. Um, so yeah, that 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 isn't something that I'd see. A lot of Brown stuff doesn't catch my radar. Um, I, I got a buddy that's a big Browns fan, so I get most of my news from him. He's actually the co-host of our podcast. Um, but you know, it just you didn't get good Baker on Sunday. Um, I'm not a big Baker basher. There's a lot of Baker haters out there. I don't think that he's the best quarterback in the league or anything, but I don't hate him either. I think a lot of that stems from the planting the flag at Ohio State thing. Um, but it was one of those games where, you know, Cleveland's identity won them the game. They ran the ball. They blocked well. Um, Baker's not a guy that's going to throw you to a victory all the time. He can every now and then, but he's not a, an Aaron Rodgers. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, take you to the wind with his arm. But, um, but yeah, just miserable football to watch pretty much all the way around. The, the whole first half or the first three quarters, it's like both teams told their special teams units to just stay home. Like they didn't right. kick field goals. They were going for two. It was just, it was very weird. Um, you know, obviously they, they got the win and that's all that matters at the end of the day, but there was a lot of questionable decision-making from, from both staffs. Um, and I'm surprised to see a Mike Zimmer team be so undisciplined. Uh, 15 penalties week one against the Bengals, I believe quite a few more yeah. Sunday. That's, that's just not, that's, I'm sure Mike Zimmer's post-game speeches were rated colorful. M for mature. Yeah. yeah colorful. Colorful. <laughs> and it's yeah i think at one point in the third quarter what was it like 11 to 7 or something it was just like yeah like a baseball score yeah it was weird uh not not too much here but just a little bit of information brown this is on dogs by nature our counterparts in the sb nation network they cover the browns they signed lawrence cager to the practice squad he is a big dude 6'5 220 a wide receiver so um, he is taking the place of wide receiver Jamarcus Bradley, who is on injured reserve. So, you know, not he, previously with the Jets was Cager, um, played four seasons at the University of Miami before transferring to Georgia. And then uh, he, you know, so that's kind of his career trajectory. Not too much to relay there, except the Browns got another big wide receiver target. Maybe they use him at this point, but uh, they seem to be pretty content with where they're at with things. They are three and one tied with the Cincinnati Bengals as are the Baltimore Ravens. And let's transition. Baker Mayfield. Oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Baker, May Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback without Odell Beckham Jr. There's lots of numbers to back it up. I don't have them in front of me, uh, but I've been kind of banging this drum since last season because Baker kind of struggled at the beginning of the season. Odell went down against the Bengals toward the middle of the season and Baker's game picked up and Baker's first year. He didn't have Odell. He was better. And I think they get Jarvis Landry back. I think that'll help, but I'm, I'm just putting that out in the, in the universe. Baker is better without Odell and it's not anybody's fault. I don't think, I just think that Odell gets a little bit upset. I think Baker's worried about keeping him happy. He may force things to him. I don't know what it is, but that's just a, uh, uh, Outsider looking in on the division, I think that Cleveland is better without Odell. It's an interesting point because I remember watching that game Sunday and there was a play where Odell kind of broke open towards a back back right pylon 
Um, and Baker, I mean, he, he put it in a spot that only Odell could get, but it wasn't even really a catchable ball. And Odell yeah. had a couple of steps on the defender there. And you kind of go, wow, that's just, you know, the chemistry is just not there for whatever reason. And I think also, you know, Landry is that, uh, you know, he, he can do some things on the outside, but, you know, he's kind of that Tyler Boyd guy for, for Mayfield, yeah. just a guy that's just reliable and a security blanket. And, you know, when, when you need to find your rhythm, that's the guy you want to look to. And when he's not in there, uh, you know, as good as OBJ can be, um, I, I see your point most definitely. W- one of the, <laughs> I would say the second most interesting talking point of the week outside of the Cincinnati Bengals sphere and within the NFL is some talk between the Ravens and the Broncos after their game. And there was a back and forth. Vic Fangio um, kind of said, you know, we apparently the Ravens ran a play with like three seconds left. They were three yards away from this, uh, from getting a hundred rushing yards, which would have tied some obscure streak with the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of amount of game. I think it was 42 games, 43 games, something like that in terms of a, you know, hundred yard rushing performance and blah, blah, blah. And so Harbaugh decided to run the ball instead of taking a knee, Vic Fangio, a guy who is an old school guy in the NFL took umbrage to use a really fancy word. <laughs> That's a good one. To that. And, you know, basically said, it doesn't really surprise me because he did a backhanded insult to Harbaugh saying, you know, that's just the way they, they do things. They don't, you know, player safety is secondary. They don't care about those kinds of things. Well, John Harbaugh fired back saying he won't give Vic Fangio's insult a second thought. Um, I mean, I know this doesn't really pertain to the Bengals, but, uh, you know, one of those storylines that is really high up in the NFL totem pole, I guess. Uh, yeah, 43 straight games tying the Pittsburgh Steelers record in terms of 100 yards rushing in a game. What did you make of this whole thing? I think it's, to me, it was kind of like, you know, I, I understand a little bit of why you'd want to get that record. But, and I know, I, I'm pretty sure you're a Michigan guy. Um, so you probably are. Yeah, so I think you like Jim Harbaugh. Um, but this I do move, not. You do not. Okay. <laughs> this move, this move. To me, this this play call is as dumb as a three yard gain for to try tie this record. But with three seconds left, this is a very Harbaugh esque play call. Yeah, in my, oh yeah, in my, it's in, in my blood. opinion. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you have additional thoughts on this, but I I, I don't know. It's just kind of two coaches that view things completely different. One very old school, and one guy that is just he's a Harbaugh. <laughs> I think Fangio, I get his point, but I'm, I always err to the side of in football. I'm not, I'm not very old school. You know, I like celebrations. I like, you know, I think the the new taunting rule is kind of bad. Um, I've always been of the, if you don't like it, just stop them type of thing. I did kind of enjoy Harbaugh's clapback where he said, you know, they threw a ball into the end zone with 10 seconds left and I'm not aware that there's a 16 point touchdown. (laughs) So were they trying to win? I thought that was very clever. Um, it was, it was, you know, I'm not a big Jim Harbaugh guy. I think I might like John Harbaugh a little better. I think Michigan got the wrong Harbaugh. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't make too much of it. Fangio is definitely old school. He's going to take offense to it. I kind of aired to the side of, you know, like, well, just, you know, don't give them the record then, you know, just stop right. them. Don't let them get three yards. Uh, so yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy, but it was, it was fun to watch the talking heads talk about it and read the quotes and stuff. Get you. Yeah. It was off. almost like two, uh, two, you know, high school kids slinging insults yeah. at each other over Instagram or I don't know, something like that. It was just, yeah. you know, a lot of back and forth and it's just like, Oh gosh, you guys just, 
you know, like kind of like you said, you don't want it to happen. Stop them. You know, I mean, it's just kind of yeah. like that's kind of how I view it. But let's let's keep rolling on here. A quick uh, article here on Baltimore Beatdown, the colleagues of ours in the SB Nation network covering the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson deserves to be in the conversation for league MVP again. I think that's should be fairly obvious, but I, I think it is just, uh, it's a, it's a good piece here on Baltimore Beatdown and, and a correct one. What's not really being talked about, at least I haven't seen too much of it is Joe Burrow ta- being league MVP type of conversations. You hear the Lamar Jackson's Patrick Mahomes and, and, and others, but uh, yeah, yeah. Kyler, Kyler's playing very well. Yeah. Uh, but Lamar Jackson deserves to be in the conversation for league MVP again, and he is playing well. And he's uh, to me, I know he's still not the most accurate passer, but I'm seeing a little bit more improvement um, in certain aspects of the passing game from Lamar this year, but still he is a, a dynamic runner. There are some improvements in his passing game, and I think there's been some improvements with his receivers getting open. I don't know if that's skill-wise. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's training-wise, but you know, Hollywood Brown early in his career was tweeting, you know, like, why do you have me if you don't use me? Um, and and he's kind of come along, it seems like, and, and getting a little bit more involved in the offense. So, you know, I've, I'm – I'm a Lamar downer. I won't lie. Um, I I don't think, I still don't think that he's going to throw you two wins just like a lot of quarterbacks will have to. Uh, But he got the, the, uh, the hump of Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. He, he hurdled that this year. Um, You know, he's keeping a minute. I can understand him being in the MVP conversation. Um, I, I wouldn't argue it too much. Here's Jeff Kerr of CBS. Lamar Jackson is the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for a thousand yards and rush for 250 yards in the first four games of a season. He is on pace for 4,577 passing yards and 1,186 rushing yards. Wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. impressive there. But of course we all know on pace um, players usually don't hit those on pace things, at least from what I have seen. Let's go yeah, to yeah. Let's go to the Steelers and they are in a very unfamiliar place of being in the cellar of the AFC North one and three. And I think we can all be extremely happy about that. Pretty ugly one. They lost again this weekend to the green Bay Packers and they are now in uh moral victory mode. It would seem at Steelers.com the running, <laughs> the running game takes a step forward and ring a ding ding for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, I know that's what they pride themselves on. I know that's what they like to do, but uh, I mean, that that's Bob Labriola of Steelers.com talking about the running game looking better yet doesn't really matter because they are one and three and staring up at three teams tied at three and one in the AFC North. I'll say this. We've, we've been there. You and I have both been there. We, we have some positives to spin. Um, yep. So, I'll always remember that, but it is very nice to see one of the most insufferable teams in sports kind of at the bottom. And, you know, and it's, it's a weird time. The Steelers are in last place. The Bengals and Browns are up there battling it out for the top. So that's, that's, it's good for all of Ohio. We all come together. You know, there's a good amount of banter between Bengals fans and Browns fans, but that there's uh, four weekends a year where we all come together. When the Bengals play the Steelers, the Browns are on our side. When the Browns play the Steelers, we're on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's they they can spend some time down there. They they deserve it. They're, I'm still not over Mike Munchak pulling Reggie Nelson's hair. So I'm not know, either. Find, <laughs> I was at that game too. Talk about yeah. We, 
that's that's nuts. But Steelers in the bottom of the division makes me feel great. It's always going to, and I hope that it continues. Well, here is another one on the – it's kind of a bridge between the Pittsburgh Steelers and as we transition into NFL news, and then we're going to bounce on out of here. But this is a, an article from David Carr on NFL.com. Um, talking about player rankings, could the Pittsburgh Steelers bench Ben Roethlisberger? Do you ever see a scenario that that happens um, this this year? I I don't know. I mean, he talks about some different stuff here. Let's start with the sauce. Ben Roethlisberger, the 18-year veteran, is more of a liability than an asset for Pittsburgh's offense right now. Um, they, through four games, they the offense ranks 28th in points, 27th in total yards, 16th in passing yards, and dead last in rushing yards going against – what we just heard about the rushing game going, getting going at Steelers.com. Now, of course, he's got another issue. He had the chest issue, the pectoral issue when he faced the Bengals, and he's got a hip issue now. Do you see a scenario wherein the Steelers actually bench Ben Roethlisberger this year, or do you think he at least turns it around to bring them to respectability and then maybe a transitional year next year? I don't think that he gets benched this year. I don't think – He's maybe the sports figure that I, I don't want to use the H word. I dislike the most in all of sports. Um, (laughs) And I would like to see him get benched. I think that would be awesome and hilarious, but I don't think that Pittsburgh will do that. He means too much to the organization. He's done too much there. What I think can happen is, and I've said this, I said this coming into the season, I haven't trusted him to make it through a 16 game season in a while, let alone 17. So I think that I don't think that he will get benched. I don't think he'll be a healthy scratch or Tomlin will sit him down. Um, but I think that he may get hurt and, and a Mason Rudolph or a Dwayne Haskins comes in and maybe he plays a little bit better. Um, and, and, and the offense moves a little bit. I could see them like dragging Ben's injury out longer. But really, it's just like, hey, man, you're not doing as good. We're going to leave this guy in. But when it comes to a coach's decision to bench him, I just think with the history there and the, you know, the two Super Bowls and everything else, I think that they, they think too highly of him to actually bench him. Um, but they may, if he gets hurt and they can drag it out a little bit longer, they may do that. Well, the here is where my guest co-host, Drew Garrison, starts to, as we transition to NFL news, where he – Rubs his hands in in glee. Oh, I know where this is going. Urban Meyer. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh boy. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I'm not going to play videos of whatever. I'm not. I'm just not going to go there. But bottom line is, after the game between the Jaguars and the Bengals to catch people up, uh, he stayed back in Ohio with some of his family members. They went out to dinner. I guess his family ended up going back home. His wife was watching the grandkids. She tweeted out all this kind of stuff. Then he's out there seen with a a younger woman uh, dancing up on him. And uh, it's just, it's kind of spinning out of control. And now there are a ton of reports from guys like Michael Lombardi and Michael Silver around the league that players think he's lost the team after, you know, this whole deal happens after an 0-4 start, you know, if you're 2-2, and if you're 3-1, and and all this kind of stuff. Uh, You know, obviously, the fallout that comes from this, I I, I do feel that this is a bit bit more of a personal Urban Meyer issue than a professional Urban Meyer issue, but 
I think it sends a, a bad message to the team when you don't fly home from the team. And this is what, what transpires when you don't fly home with the rest of your team and the whole thing. Now you've got Shad Khan, the owner of Jaguars, basically says he, he has to regain our trust and respect. Um, and, and so they're not going to make some decisions on on you know him potentially being fired at least not four games into the season but uh you know right before this happened i kind of said i respect where even though they're own four i thought the jaguars were doing some things and they're they were going to be headed in the right direction probably not this year but maybe next and then this whole thing happens and it's just <laughs> on the whole <laughs> I, I mean just a whole thing so you obviously being a mission guy you were not a fan of urban meyer i know a lot of folks aren't fans of urban meyer because of his penchant for going to a place and hopping out of there at the first sign of trouble um sometimes at his own doing so i i don't know what you make of this but obviously this is one of the major headlines in the nfl right now and that's something that's been a little bit made of on on the the Twitter side of things and the social media side of things. People think that I hate Urban Meyer because Michigan's zero and seven against him, but I would like to point out that I had this distaste for Urban Meyer before when he was at Florida. Um, it's just there's just a pattern of questionable behavior, questionable decisions. You know, he's at Florida, he wins a couple of national championships with Tim Tebow. Turns out there was some trouble there, heart issues, got to step away from the game. Year or two later, Ohio State has forty-eight million dollars. He's like, I feel better, um, you know. And then you have the Zach Smith situation at Ohio State toward the end, and then you know he's got issues with his brain, and he's going to take his time off. And then it's just, and then you know he gets to Jacksonville. I think that he slighted his team with the Tim Tebow signing because Tim Tebow had been out of football for five, six years, I believe, before he came back in as a tight end. Um, you know, he had the issues with the strength and conditioning coach that he brought in that I guess had some issues. Um, and not even football issues, just kind of worldview issues where he had said or done some things that were, um, you know, not becoming of somebody that you'd want to employ. He like, he was very tone deaf to that. Um, and they say he's a guy that takes losses very personally. He sounded very, very down Thursday night. Um, the video he's at his restaurant bar that he owns and all of that stuff. You know, the, the, the people around it were tweeting that he, you know, he was drinking quit pretty heavily, that's that's one thing you know the girl wasn't he said they were trying to pull him onto the dance floor i saw the video that girl was not trying to pull him anywhere um and he didn't do anything to stop it that's where it's the issue i just think that's that's just a. and there was reports from people in there that said he was just saying like i miss playing rutgers you know blah 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 so i don't know if he's just like having a bad time and it came out there but you've got to know man you're urban meyer you're in dublin ohio at a restaurant that you own Assume that there is a camera rolling on you 24 yeah, seven at all boring. times because it is, because it is like, that's yeah. the reality of it. And you know, it, it's a bad look to the, the, the damning thing to me about it is you just lose a heartbreaker to an own four team. And you're like, all right, well you guys get on the plane, think about what you've done, head back to Jacksonville. I'm going to Columbus. Like you have enough money, man. You could at least fly back, address the team, work the plane. You know, that's a thing that coaches have to deal with. They work the plane after a loss. They talk to their team. They they do these things. And you're just like, well, man, like you guys lost. You better get home and figure it out. I'm going to go up here, hang out with the grandkids. And then you didn't just hang out with the grandkids. You went out to the bar and it just got, it got out of control, man. And I just think that 
there's just a, a pattern of this kind of behavior from urban and, and geographically where the Bengals are and where I live. He got away with a lot of it because he came to Ohio, Ohio state fans hated the guy at Florida. They called him a scumbag, all this stuff. But now it's like, Oh, he didn't coach your team anymore. You, you kind of see the, the, the transgressions a little bit more. And I've, I, maybe I shouldn't have enjoyed it a little bit um, because I just feel like people are kind of starting to see the guy that I've seen for a long time. Um, but there's still rumors that, you know, Shad Khan put that out to get out in front of it, but they may be trying to fire him for cause, which means they get out of all of his money. Um, that, that came from Michael Lombardi. He said he didn't buy the press release that came from Shad Khan, and I didn't buy it because it came from, like, his notes section. Like, he typed up a note on his phone and screenshotted it. I feel like he could have maybe made that a little bit, uh, I don't know, more official. But So, yeah, man, I mean, I, I rub my hands together for it. There's a lot of memes, a lot of stuff going on around about it that I personally find funny. But at the end of the day, it's going to put a lot of strain on his personal life. You know, hopefully his family, hopefully I know his wife's active on Twitter. I'm hoping she's not getting too much crazy stuff coming to her. One thing that I will never do as much as I'll make fun of a player, a team or whatever, I'll never find their family on Twitter or, 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 or even DM them, you know, like I'm in six fantasy football leagues. Guys let me down this past weekend. Never in my mind was I like, you know what? I'm going to DM it and call him a piece of whatever. Yeah. You know, like, so stay off of that. You know, bad for his family, but you know, at the end of the day, he's in this position because of himself. And if he can dig out of it and that all that, that's well and good. I've just never thought he would do well in the NFL anyway. Um, I, I think he's a college guy. Um, you can demand a room of college kids when you control their futures and their scholarships and everything. It's much harder to control a room of guys that make a bunch more money than you. Um, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. It's definitely going to be something to follow. Uh, there's going to be a lot of jokes and memes and, I, I love memes, so I'll be here for all of them. But, yeah, it's just – I feel like the world is kind of seeing the Urban Meyer that I think a lot of other people have seen before it just never got talked about because he always won football games. And it's like you had said earlier, winning cures everything. They start winning games again, this will go away. Well, what isn't going away is some criticism of the NFL referees, Joey Bosa, Chargers linebacker slash edge player uh bashes officiating following the win over the raiders quoted so bad it's unbelievable he also had some other colorful language to use about it on nfl.com here and one of the things he was talking about was he got i i guess held uh in in truth i did not watch the end of this game but i think he got held by raiders rookie right tackle alex leatherwood um and then, you know, he Bosa, I guess, complained about it, got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, but no penalty against Leatherwood for the hold. Earlier in the game, Drew, I did watch this. Darren Waller makes a nice catch, spikes the ball along a sideline, not even looking at the two defenders that he beat, just kind of spiked the ball, got called for this crazy taunting stuff that's all, oh, all of a sudden kind of, yeah. So, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to sit here and, Oh, the officials suck, but there have been a lot of different things, both in Bengals games and not in Bengals games that have been called, have not been called, that uh, have driven some people nuts. And I think this taunting thing is really throwing people for a loop. Yeah, and I, 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 when I'm watching Bengals games, you know, as I've kind of said, I'm kind of trying to transition from, you know, fan to journalist or whatever you would call me that covers the team. But when I'm watching a game from an officiating standpoint, I will always have orange and black goggles on. It's just kind of the way it is. It's in my DNA. But when I watch other teams where I'm not quite as invested, um, you know, it's easier to be objective about it. And it, it has been rough. And I, 
I watch the Pat McAfee show every day. I don't know if you've ever seen. I love it. Um, he had Aaron Rodgers on there like he has every Tuesday. And he said, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is hurting the league is these guys that are the best of the best when it comes to officiating are getting paid so much more money to go work for TV networks than they were to work for the NFL to where it's like, hey, man, I can double your income. And you don't have to worry about getting stuff thrown at you and getting booed out of a stadium and all that stuff. You can wear a suit in your house and do it on Zoom or whatever. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of that, but specifically the taunting thing, it's like this is a game of emotion. And you have the Bud Light Selly of the Week every week on the NFL's Twitter pages to to promote the celebration and all that. So it's like there's egregious taunting things. You know, I don't think you should stand over a guy and clap your hands or scream at him or beat your chest or anything like that. But like a spike, when you're looking away from the guys on the sidelines, it's like, let's have a little bit of fun with it. Um, But it's just inconsistency from the NFL officiating that we've seen for the last few years. Um, I think with uh, the pandemic and more people staying home and more people watching more football at home, um, it might've been amplified a little bit because, you know, the average fan that that watches their team on the local channel at seven or one o'clock, um, you know that that may be it. But last year there was nothing for anybody to do, so maybe they got the Sunday ticket or they watched the you know the other local the late local game. It's just a, it's it's an issue that I think has needed addressed for quite some time now. It's just a lot of these rule changes seem to make things worse. Like. I think taunting should have stayed the same. If you're doing something that's completely messed up, throw the flag. But if you spike the ball or you beat your chest or something like that during the game, like you can give them 15 yards for that. Like doing these things in the NFL is hard. It's a game of emotion. Uh, like let them have some emotion. It's, they're never going to be robots. As bad as Goodell may want them to be, these will never be robots on the football field. It, it, it got to a pretty bad point last night where the – uh, commentators, Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, Brian Greasy were talking about, and oh, by the way, this, you know, about the taunting penalty, these aren't the old school coaches that want to, these are the Sean McVeighs and whatever that are pushing the, the taunting penalty. Yeah, thing. the Stefanskis. Yeah, and I, it was just like, oh my gosh, now we're trying to rationalize the whole thing. And I, it was just kind of messy. But at any rate, yeah, interesting, like uh, interesting and scathing words from Joey Bosa about the referees. Let's keep going on here. Two quick things before we get to uh the 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 last two that we can spend a little more time on uh here is just a quick bears trying to do some things on offense they acquire jakeem grant in trade with the dolphins he's a wide receiver so they're trying to boost their offense a little bit and miami might be in a little bit of fire sale mode they're they're kind of hurting right now yeah yeah, you know. pick the wrong quarterback, man. That's what'll happen to you. They yeah. took Herbert. <laughs> they, uh, the Dolphins, traded wide receiver Jakeem Grant for uh, a 2023 sixth round pick. Oh boy! So two years from now, uh, the, the Dolphins get a a sixth round pick for Jakeem Grant. Okay, well that's that's the terms of that deal. And quickly going on to another. This, this young man gets another chance in the NFL. Josh Gordon is activated off of the Chiefs practice squad and is set to debut versus the Bills on Sunday night football. So after he has bounced around the league, after he has had different off-field type of issues, Josh Gordon is set to make a return to the NFL and, and play against the Bills on Sunday night, Drew. He was so good with Cleveland, with Brandon Whedon, of all people. 
Oh god. Yeah. I when I think of Josh Gordon, like there's no there was quite a few times where I'm like, oh man, if he can keep it together, he can keep it together. He'll be he'll be great. But now it's just like, all right, it's been too long. But I, every time I see Josh Gordon now, I just think about how much money he has missed out on. Mm-hmm. The kind of contract he could have had if he could have got it together. And you know, he's been very open about his substance abuse issues and things like that that I think have have helped people. Um, he's a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing him do well on the second chance. But now it's well, it's not even a second chance. It's like, dude, you're on your ninth chance. I don't expect anything. Like, <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. Because a lot of times he'll get reinstated, and three weeks later he's suspended again. So it's, but he's in a place to where if he's anything like he used to be, and he can keep his head on straight, that'll. That'll be something to watch with Mahomes. Um, but yeah, we'll not, see. Not, yes, sir. So, power rankings week five. This is from Pete Briscoe on CBS. Did you have a chance to look at this one yet, Drew? I did, and I'm just a little bit confused by some things. Okay. I don't know. What, what are you confused? It, you're, it, you're, it, well, it, let, me, let me say. Let me let me show it first, and then we can talk about maybe what you're confused about. Briscoe is usually he usually trends to be on the more forgiving side on the Cincinnati Bengals uh, earlier this year he had him ranked really low right now he's got them at 13 behind the Panthers behind the Raiders behind the Ravens um, you know kind of round out that top 12 but he's he has them at 13 is their three and one record legitimate they are improved but we will know how much improved this week against the Packers he had them bumped up four spots this uh, this isn't the one that I saw I'm sorry I saw one where it had the Bengals at 19 and the Steelers, I think at 18. And I was no, yeah. how in the world we were ranked below Pittsburgh. Um, so I apologize. This was not the one that I saw. I read a lot of this stuff every day. It's hard to keep it all it's together. Hard to get, there are a lot um, of them out there. <laughs> yeah, there really are. And I scatter my brain by reading all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, when was the last time you think you'd see the Bengals ranked above uh, Seattle in a power ranking? So that's, we're trending in the right direction, but yeah, I kind of got to give him, um, you know, his his due there. He's right. How good is the three on one record? And we've got the measuring stick on on Sunday, so um, I cannot wait because we're going against his number two team. So yep, exactly, yeah. Green Bay listed as number two. He's got Arizona as the number one team in the league at four and zero. I guess rightfully so, being the yeah. only, uh, you know, one of the only. Undefe- I think they are the only undefeated team at this point, right? They um, are now after Oakland. Yeah. After Oakland, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, gosh, yeah, I know. Uh, it's gonna take yeah. me years. I know, I know. I still say San Diego sometimes with the Chargers, so yeah, and that's been even longer. Uh, Green Bay at two on his on Pete Prisco's power list, uh, power rankings list. Three, they're at three and one right there. So big game for the Bengals coming up. And to wrap this up, it's been a long episode, but it's been a really, really fun one with Drew Garrison here of CincyJungle.com and Locker Room Talk. Let's just give you an idea of where things are with divisional standings. You've got the Cardinals at 4-0, Rams at 3-1, and Seahawks at 2-2, two and two, and the Niners at 2-2 two and two in the NFC West. The North, Green Bay's on top. They're 3-1, and one. Chicago 2-2, two and two. Minnesota 1-3, Detroit 0-4. Obviously, the Bengals have Green Bay coming up this week. They've already played both the Vikings and the Bears 1-1 one and one between those two teams, beating the Vikings, losing to the Bears. And then they've got the Lions coming down the pike pretty soon here. NFC South, Tampa Bay coming off that big win in Foxborough, three and one. Panthers three and one. Saints two and two. Falcons one and three. Uh, NFC East, Cowboys are three and one. Washington is two and two. Philly is one and three. Giants are one and three. And then you go to the AFC. 
Titans are two and two. That's a tough team to figure out. Uh, Texans are one and three. Indies one and three. Jacksonville zero oh and four, having all kinds of issues. AFC East Buffalo's up top three and one, and they are rolling after that uh, first week loss to to the Steelers. Miami's one and three. New England's one and three. Jets are one and three. Bengals on top of the AFC North, as we mentioned, three Love and it. one, three and one, three and one. Between them, the Ravens and the Browns, the Steelers are one and three in the West. You've got the Chargers on top, three and one. Raiders, three and one. Broncos, three and one. Competitive division there in Kansas City in the cellar. Anything kind of jumping out at you before we hop out of here in terms of standings, Drew? Um, the the Chargers beating um, the Raiders last night was a little bit of a surprise, but I knew that it would be a good game. Um, I, I like Justin Herbert, man. And, and, you know, looking around the league, you got your Kylers, you got your Lamars, you got your Burroughs, your Lawrence, your Herberts, uh, Josh Allen. It's shaping up to be a phenomenal next decade or so, hopefully decade plus of, of quarterback play, especially in the AFC. The NFC is kind of like the retirement home um, of the league kind of right now. There's a lot of the older guys out there. You got your Rodgers and guys like that. But um, looking at the standings, I think that, you know, the Bengals are first because of the head-to-head – or not the head-to-head, but the uh, the division win, correct? Because um, nobody else has a division win yet. So we, we edge out to the true number one spot. Stop telling me we're tied, all right? We've got that little little edge to put us above it, and hopefully we can build off of it. Um, so, yeah, the standings are about where I thought that they would be. You could flip-flop a team or two here, but, man, lots of great football going on this year. And I, I got sad. Me and my buddies have a group chat, and we're like, man, it's kind of sad that we're a quarter away through already. Like, this is going really fast. It really is. It really is. I was reminiscing about week one and being in, in Cincinnati, and I was just like, man, that was already like a month ago. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. But – we are going to get out of here. It's been a marathon show. Thank you, Drew, for your time, your insights. Where can people follow you, get your stuff, and get all your awesome takes on Twitter? Yeah, man, at Drew underscore LRT. That's my uh, Twitter. That's my Instagram. Um, our podcast is uh, LRT Uncut, all one word on Twitter. Um, viewer discretion is advised. Um, that is really where I do everything. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active Twitter guy. Uh, the The luxury of working from home affords me that. Um, so, um, you know, I'd love to interact with people. I love to just talk about the Bengals. Um, so that's where you can find me uh, we will have uh, an episode of our podcast live tomorrow afternoon around five o'clock, um, where, you know, we kind of talk about the, the, the Bengals, the Browns, the division kind of very similar to what we did here. And just kind of the major stuff in sports with, uh, more of a, like a frat boy, you know, just dudes talking sports kind of thing, you know, the, so it's, it's just something that we do for fun. So I, I appreciate you having me on, man. Like I said, with as long as I've been a Cincy Jungle fan and, and, and liked your guys' content, your shows, you know, a Zim, um, Jason, all you guys over there, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. And I was glad to be on today. I'm much appreciated. Yeah. Open invite anytime, man. It's, it's long overdue that we had you on and appreciate you making time and, and bringing, all the great insight today. We, we got to a lot, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch, man. And hopefully the Bengals, you got a prediction real quick. Do you think uh, for, for this Sunday? Oh, put me on the spot. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a shootout. Um, I'm going to pick with my heart and say that an Evan McPherson field goal Ooh. is the difference in a 34, 31 win. That All fifth right. round pick is going to cash in again. Um, I, 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 I don't have it in me to pick against the Bengals hardly ever, especially with the way this year is going. There's too much good. So 34-31, Evan McPherson edges the Bengals out over Green Bay, and the national media stops worrying about if we practice inside or not. 
Well, yeah. Yeah. That'll Probably be not. But... That'll be the day. Well, <laughs> yeah. thanks for, you're going to have to, if you're listening, you're going to have to tune into our show tomorrow night to get our predictions and other stuff. We've, we were very, very pleased to be joined by Drew Garrison today. We've got Mike Petraglia uh, and Kenneth Giles of Symbol joining us tomorrow on the, on the show. And then we've got some fantasy football advice from the Orange Arrow and We've got Malik Wright joining us for listener questions live on Friday. So a jammed weekend. Of course, we've got the post-game show Sunday as well. So keep it to our show, the Orange and Black Insider. Keep it to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, whether it's this show, great stuff from Matt Minnick or Ace and Zim and the Orange is the New Black podcast. You can get that on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer. But Drew, thanks again, my man. We'll, we'll make Absolutely. this a, a, another occurrence, more, more occurrences for sure. We'll make this a more regular thing. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you. We'll see you more this week. Take it easy.